Just as local economies need local health care as one of their largest employers and a critical asset to attract other employers, local health care needs strong economies to attract talent, improve payer mixes, and promote long-term financial sustainability. So, how do rural communities build their economies to support their health care? With key collaborations, a fearless determination, and the courage to be kind. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 44 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So, Rachel, we have often discussed how critical rural health care is uh, as a pillar of our rural economies. Uh, but strong rural economies are equally important uh, to rural health care. Right. And today we are talking with someone who has quite a track record when it comes to developing rural economies by making rural communities a great place to live. That's right, Rachel. Our guest today is Jamie Medlock, president and CEO of Group Stellar. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Jamie. Thank you, JJ. And thank you, Rachel. It's so nice to be with you today. So, JJ, I do have to do a little more intro here because Jamie is one of my absolute dearest friends in the whole world, and she is amazing. But you don't have to take my word for it. Jamie has been awarded the Sagamore of the Wabash, which is one of Indiana's highest honors by then-Governor Mike Pence. Mm. She has been named the Indiana Chamber Executive of the Year and also led a rural community in southern Indiana to leverage about $20 million as one of two communities in the entire state that year to receive that uh, program designation and have significant investment in their quality of place initiatives. She is someone I would describe as a bridge builder. She's very good at building relationships and collaborations. She leads by example, and she just knows how to get things done, um, obviously, based on her her awards and things like that. She's one of the most influential people in my life. So, uh, Jamie, now that I've done all the bragging about you, since I know you won't brag about yourself, it's your turn to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and the work you do with Group Stellar. <laughs> well, Rachel, thank you very much for that very generous um, intro. And JJ, I have to tell you, the feelings are absolutely mutual. I think you have a major rock star in Rachel. She just does phenomenal things. And I know she always speaks so very highly um, of you and of all the work that you that you do as a team and for your community and the people that you serve. So so I think at this point, we should probably close in prayer, okay? <laughs> or just kick him out and we'll take it yeah, from here. <laughs> we've had two testimonies and I'm going to do an offering okay. and then we're done. All right. Well, it's... It's been a great day. Thank you, Gus. And we'll sing victory in Jesus to close. Here we go. <laughs> we don't want to hear this. Just kidding. So, Jamie, back to you. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes. Well, I really don't know what else there is to say, um, but I am um, an Indiana native, recently returned to the glorious Midwest after spending several years in Virginia and in Florida. Um, realized pretty quickly that this, we love living in the Midwest and certainly prefer kind of that rural uh, lifestyle. So really happy to be back home. Um, I have experienced working in a chamber of commerce, doing policy work at the, the state, uh, state of Indiana, really focusing in rural economic development um, and tourism. And I um, have some experience working in the defense uh, sector. I was a project manager for MARSOC, the Marine Corps Special oh, Operations. Wow. Did, um, did some 
uh, project management in the defense space. So uh, now I have been, I started my own business about four years ago, and I serve um, a lot of, you know, kind of community development organizations. So community foundations, economic development groups, I still work with uh, chambers of commerce. And then I'm also like growing in the defense space. So working with um, defense companies on how to kind of craft their messages and target audiences that they're not necessarily used to, to working mm-hmm. and engaging. But my time at the chamber was a great experience. Um, it was a chamber in Southern Indiana, a very rural community, one of the poorer communities in the state, um, but had, we were fortunate to have some success while I was there. And um, at least I hope that we left the place, um, we left things a little bit better than than when we started there. That's fantastic. So now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with the why. Now, we do this on every episode of Rural Health Rising, so we get to know our guests just a little bit better. So what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? Yes, thank you. Um, So I am a mom, and I'm a mom of two little girls who I adore, and I certainly want them um, to be proud of me. And, and what I'm able to do throughout my professional career. Um, I'm also a wife. I adore my husband. We've been together for quite a while. We actually went to high school together, um, did not date in school, but, but got together shortly afterwards. And, um, you know, we've just kind of been through a lot. And so I, we kind of live by the motto to whom much is given, much is required. And so always want to just leave places a little bit better than we found them and, and be a good example. Um, but we almost just, I almost just kind of operate on why not, right? Like I love people. I enjoy to have fun. I like to work hard. So, um, we try to just, I try to just do that every day and, and have a good time while we're doing Fantastic. it. So Jamie, you grew up in that same rural community where you were, uh, the chamber president down in Southern Indiana. So this really is in your roots. What led you to that role as the chamber president? Because you didn't do that right away when you finished college. You you did some work in between, right? Yes, I did. After So I went to Indiana University. And then while I was in school, I interned at the State House and really just had a great time. I interned for the lieutenant governor's office. Um, and then so after I graduated, I went back to the State House and I worked for the House of Representatives. And it was such an incredible and kind of eye-opening experience. And I actually got a phenomenal education through that experience, probably more so or just as much as I actually did when I was in school, learning about the different roles that, um, you know, different agencies play and how the different uh, agencies kind of really have all types of touch points on people's lives, things I didn't know about, you know, way, way beyond the, the BMV from the state health department. Uh, Department of Insurance, Ag, I mean, Defense, really, it's a, it's a, it was an incredible opportunity. So um, when we were, after I had gotten married and we decided we were kind of ready to settle down, maybe start a family, there was an opportunity um, that, that, that came up in my hometown and I decided I might, you know, give that a shot and see if there was a, a, an opportunity for me to kind of give back and make some things, some, some positive things happen in the place where I grew up. It's fantastic. So, Jamie, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Stellar Communities program uh, that you have worked on? And um, it was obviously pretty focused on quality of place. Um, but what does that really mean? And why does it matter? 
Sure. So I think whenever, you know, sometimes in the economic development space, we have all these these terms, right, and kind of these, these catchphrases that, that sound good. But when I think about quality of place, it's really why would someone live in a certain community over another community? So, you know, here in the Midwest, we don't have the mountains, we don't have beaches, um, but as we look to, if we are in charge of developing these communities, how can we make our place the most attractive um, so that young families will want to relocate here or people will want to stay here. And as I go through the cycle of my life, that there will be options and opportunities for me. So almost that kind of like cradle to grave mindset. So we have um, amenities for our youngest folks, right? Great childcare, nice parks, um, and then all the way up to like some senior, senior housing and, and walkability factors. So uh, quality of place, it really is, you know, it's um, it's it's not easy when money is tight, right? It's not the first choice, right? You have to kind of do, a lot of people look at it as you have to invest in the basic core services mm-hmm. and then that quality of place is sometimes extra. So um, it's, uh, you know, those extra dollars, where do we find that extra money when I have to take care of, you know, the sewer lines or, you know, basic kind of infrastructure. And so, you know, a lot of rural communities have have struggled to kind of provide some of those things that make their community attractive, that, that young professional, young families, and, and really kind of all ages want to, can stay and kind of prosper and thrive right there at home. So Stellar Communities really was designed to um, provide that kind of funding that, like you said, is often not um, in the budget for local government, local municipalities, and um, even local economic development organizations don't necessarily have um, enough funding to be able to focus on quality of place. So Stellar Communities was all about uh, the state of Indiana investing in some of its rural communities for this purpose, but it wasn't just like sign up and now you're a stellar community, right? So can you tell us a little bit about that process of becoming a stellar community? Because you guys had to do a lot of legwork. Yes, it was a very, very competitive process. You first had to um, like qualify. So there were some basic parameters that you had to meet from the state um, to even put your name in the hat. The Stellar Communities, the, the three main funding um, agencies that supported the program, uh, the Department of Transportation, the Office of Community and Rural Affairs, and the State Housing Agency. So that was actually kind of a, a neat program. And in fact, whenever I worked at the state for the lieutenant governor in policy work several years prior, I kind of helped put that together, right? It was modeled after the state of Tennessee um, they had a similar program. So from the state of Indiana's perspective, it's it, it, this program is still in place. Um, the, the dollar amount has decreased some since the, the city of Bedford was awarded. But, you know, it was an opportunity to kind of like break down those silos. And it showed a way that the state was able to collaborate, use federal dollars, how they could, um, you know, help kind of package that to really make a high impact difference on a few select communities. So for the city of Bedford, it was actually our third time that we applied when we were successful. Um, And as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, it was a total of about $20 million investment right into the downtown. So it was our, um, the downtown square and the immediate area surrounding the downtown. And the projects that we included in this, um, 
there was a, an arts and education center. So that was a brand new thing for the city. So we put that right in the square, um, right in the heart of downtown. All new sidewalks, um, street facade improvements, new trails, a senior living, a brand new gorgeous senior living um, center that we worked on with Hoosier Upland. So they are um, like a, the Head Start agency and the, the kind of the area on aging in the community. Uh, and I think the Bedford was successful because one, we tried, you know, we, we learned from our failures and then we were also very creative and we collaborated and using, you know, being as creative and collaborative as possible in rural settings, I think is a huge benefit. Um, the community that won before us, uh, the city of Princeton won the year before us and Toyota pledged to um, contribute $1 million if the city of Princeton was selected as a stellar community. In the city of Bedford, we didn't have one donor that could help us raise that would match, provide a $1 million match. But what we said is, okay, we will, we will get more than a million dollars, but we're going to do it strength in numbers. So we identified all the businesses, strategic partners. We worked with the county. We went kind of outside of just the, the city line or the mayor's office, and we really got creative, and we tried to bring all the stakeholders to the table um, to kind of share that vision and mission so that we could have multiple voices um, supporting our efforts. And we were able to, in fact, raise um, over, you know, prove a, over a million-dollar match um, by a number of local businesses. See, I told you she was a bridge builder. Absolutely. <laughs> because that's not an easy task to do. And I'm sure some of those people looked at you like, you're trying to do what, yeah. Jamie? Or you're trying to you're raise trying a million dollars here? In our town? Right, Come on. right. And that is something I think that's often experienced in rural communities oh, yes. is there can sometimes be a belief that, um, you know, one of two things. It's either like a good enough is good enough kind mm -hmm. of attitude or it's, well, we could never do that because we're too small or we're too poor or we're too this or too that. And having that, like you said, your attitude of a why not is so important to be able to do those things. Um, Rachel, I reflect, you know, you and I had a conversation with probably someone Jamie knows. We're not going to name him on this, but you brought him to the boardroom with a group of other individuals as we talked about economic development. Remember one of the participants from the community said, this will never work in Hillsdale. This is absolutely will never work in Hillsdale. This the people don't want to see that. They don't want to see artsy. And this was her quote: artsy fartsy stuff. Do you remember those conversations? Yes. Oh, I do. Do you know how difficult that was oh. to try to paint a vision of something that they could never ever foresee? That that had to be difficult, Jamie, for you. I don't know how big is Bedford. What is the population, roughly? Um, Fourteen thousand. Okay. So very small community, obviously yes. in a small county. Yes. What county are you located? Lawrence okay. County. So Lawrence County is about 45,000. Yeah. There's one other city. In Hillsdale. So it's comparable to Hillsdale. And, you know, I, I'm going to go off script a minute because I want to ask you a question. How was that when you went and, and pitched this idea of great flavors and, you know, facades and buildings? How was that met with resistance? Well, so <laughs> one, my personal motto is friendly persistence, right? But I will say we had tremendous support, right? But we had all, we had done a ton of legwork, right? We we did our homework. Mm -hmm. We knew that we were crystal clear on exactly 
what the program entailed, how Bedford benefit, what what project, what local projects that could support, you know, the funding and kind of match up. So we had, and we, then we had, we kind of, we mapped it out, right? So we showed over the next three years um, with your support, these are the things that we are going to do. We must hit this deadline. You know, these are very actionable results. And I will say, right, we, um, the mayor and I went and we pitched a lot of businesses and we had tremendous support, Um, but we started with our friends. Right. Like, I mean, we started people that were like, you know what? The local hospital, for example, yep. was a major. We actually had two local hospitals, major partners, right? Because they got it. They knew, right? So we went to the CEO, like, listen, we've got to do this. This is what we think. We've got an opportunity for millions of dollars in investment over a three year period, right? Like, we will do the work. We need your support. Um, how can we work together? And, you know, we figured out ways that we could show kind of their partnership. Um, you know, the, the wall of sponsors, we, and we wanted their input too. So not only whenever we kind of showed our framework, framework and the map, what we thought this could be, but we want, we equally wanted their input, you know, what, what do you think, um, you know, about this? And I should, I should say too, that before we, um, kind of, we, ha- we had that map that kind of our roadmap of what we would do. This was after a number of input yeah. sessions, mm-hmm. right? We actually took all the input from the, it wasn't, you know, just a few of us kind of sitting there. It was, you know, community surveys, countless input sessions, downtown meetings, you know, uh, meetings with the legislators. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is after, again, lots and lots of work. We kind of captured all of it, put it in a package, and then went out to the next steps of pitching, gaining support. Um, and really a key thing too, and I think for small communities, right, as far as working across city lines, you know, those boundaries that have existed from, you know, two generations <laughs> ago that the, the high school basketball oh, yeah. team lost the team, so they don't like each other. We had, um, we invited, invited area neighbors, so outside of our city, to join our presentation. We invited all county elected officials and then worked with the commissioners to find kind of one point person from the county to join our team, even though it was a city project. Um, working with the Main Street organization, with the Economic Development Group, with the Community Foundation. And we just had this massive list of partners that we were able to engage and get excited and support um, this opportunity. So from my experience in economic development, which, by the way, do you know why I decided to go work in economic development when I did? Because Jamie. Yes, I, I, I guessed it. She inspired me. And I she was like, I want to do this. that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And also, I just remembered as well, technically, um, you stole me from her. I did. Well, why? Is, <laughs> well, you were working on your own. No, I was working with her. No way. Yes. You were part yeah, of that we group? Were, I was an independent contractor, but I was working with Jamie with Group Stellar. Oh, I believe I called you for her background then. Might have. Wow. Yeah. You had a chance to lie and say she was bad. <laughs> And then you could have kept her. I should, you know, in hindsight, yes. I should have. But no, you did a great thing. There. Absolutely. Uh, so anyway, I digress. Uh, but, you know, from my economic development experience, I know how important quality of place is to the health of a community. And even more so in rural communities where it is harder and harder to keep your local talent local. And also, um, you know, I think a lot of us have heard that term, the brain drain, which is an issue in the Midwest in particular, um, more than other areas, 80% of 
population migration in the U.S. over the last, I would say, 20 years has been to the southern and western United States. So obviously that's a concern for Mm -hmm. communities in the Midwest in particular, but it's really all about talent attraction and uh, the economic growth and stability of those communities. And healthcare organizations benefit from that. We've talked before on Rural Health Rising about the difficulty of attracting talent into a rural workforce. So bolstering the local economy is just as important for sustaining health care as health care is for sustaining the local economy. So, Jamie, can you talk a little bit about the relationship between your work in economic development and also local health care? I know the CEO of one of the local hospitals was on your board. Um, you just mentioned that that hospital also contributed to the project. Um, but how does chamber work impact community hospitals and vice versa? Yes, so I think in rural um, environments, they, hospitals and chambers, they really, um, they tremendously benefit one another, and they can really, there are a lot of opportunities to piggyback off of um, one another. The chamber can certainly help get messages out the um, you know, of the hospital, the hospitals can work with the chambers to, you know, on attraction, recruitment, retention. We One of the things that we worked on um, when I was there was a wellness initiative. It was called Live Well Lawrence County. And so um, both of our hospitals were really engaged in that. And one of the things um, that I think worked was we tried to set, um, you know, work with the hospitals. So how the hospitals can help support businesses and the employees with that wellness, right? Like we want people to feel better. How do we just get just a little bit better? We're not, we weren't trying to get, um, you know, employees to go run a half marathon, right? Like that wasn't the goal. It was, you know, what are some small attainable goals that we can, we can help kind of foster some, some better behaviors in collaboration that we know the hospital is telling us for preventative measures that would help, we know, from the business side, when we look at, um, worksite uh, absences, rising healthcare costs, you know, on and on and on. How can we kind of collaborate and work together to maybe just move the needle a little bit so that our residents feel better? So maybe that's a, a, a drinking water initiative or, you know, so you, we work like to get, you know, more water bottles or we're trying to, you know, not drink pop or soda and, and drink water. Um, but it was over the course of several months at a time um, and, and I think we did have some success with that. We, and it was another partnership with hospitals, kicked it off at the beginning of the year, kind of went through, had different experts um, on different health topics to, to speak to chamber members and business community and, and kind of key stakeholders about that, that pro-health message. So as someone who grew up in that same rural community, how did access to local health care affect you and your family? In other words, uh, were you able to see firsthand the impact that this had? Yes. So so I grew up in Bedford. Bedford is kind of unique for a rural community. In fact, there are two. There's an IU Health Hospital and a St. Vincent. So there were two hospitals there in the community that I lived. Um, but, you know, when you think about rural um, health care, right, there are so many challenges. So as far as I lived in town, right, so I lived within the city limits so I could get to the hospital quickly. Um, I happen to know the doctor well. So, like, I personally didn't have any problems, but you look outside of um, the, you know, kind of the in-town folks, 
right? I mean, there are still people in the community that don't have high-speed internet. You think about when bad weather comes around, um, access to a clean road Mm -hmm. that has been cleared of snow and debris. And then just within our community, the the county alone, it could take certain people 45 minutes to get to the hospital in town. So I think just that access, certainly for larger procedures, you know, as someone that lives in a rural market would drive up north, um, depending upon how the severity of it, you know, 30 minutes up north or, you know, an hour and a half up to Indianapolis if it were, if it were more severe. So um, I think though, just continuing to focus on helping rural residents, keeping those systems and and those services in place is so important for communities all across the country. Well, and I imagine the, well, I know that it's very difficult to recruit employers to a community as well (laughs) when you don't have access to healthcare for your employees, because, you know, one of the other, um, you know, important things to understand when it comes to quality of place initiatives is that depending on your community, if you're trying to bring in a new employer who doesn't already have a presence and that community, you want them to bring jobs to your community, that employer has to believe that they can recruit up to 80% of the jobs from outside of your community. So if they're going mm-hmm. around this community and they're like, we don't think people want to live here. There's not enough housing. Mm-hmm. There's no health care. They're thinking there's no way we're going to be able to get 80 of the 100 jobs that we have to be people who are going to have to move here. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take our jobs somewhere else. And so that's why that's been so important um, from a workforce standpoint to not just attracting the people, mm-hmm. but attracting the employers because you can attract the people. Um, so, Jamie, for other rural communities who recognize Uh, the importance of this, of quality of place, economic development, and the long-term sustainability of their health care and how intertwined all those things are, what would you encourage them to do or to focus on? And, you know, we have folks from all over the country who listen to this, so it's not just specific to Indiana or Michigan, um, but how can people take that knowledge and use it to the benefit of their communities and their hospitals? Yes, oh, that's that's such a great point. Um, and from from my experience, I'm a big believer in um, like growing our own, right, and growing within. So I know it's the the sexy term or the the cool thought is to have that new that new industry come in that's bringing a hundred jobs. I think in a lot of places or or five hundred jobs, or we're going to be the next home to Amazon. Um, it, it's great for the communities that where that is happening, but that's just not the reality. I think a much better approach is really kind of focusing on your own and help supporting um, existing businesses. So let's say you have a, well, I'll give uh, Bedford for an example, right? So we had a General Motors in our community. So of course, from a community development standpoint, anything that we could do to help support General Motors, its employees, that connection to healthcare, we were going to do. But I think from an economic development side, Let's look at those tier two suppliers. So who are the businesses that currently support General Motors and how can we help them? What do they need? Can we connect them to a community college to provide very specific training, whether it's they need, you know, if it's welding or die casting or like a very specific skill set, how can we help those folks support the larger businesses? And I really think, you know, you mentioned, um, the brain drain and attraction. Um, I I think it, this is hard, right? It's easier said than done. But I think from rural communities, 
And when you look at the educational landscape and kiddos that are graduating from high school and really that whole K through 12 experience, if I am in charge of kind of that community development and running the community and and, and looking for that next entry, that next um, workforce group, I think that we should be focusing on like the B and C students, right? So I think like as far as attraction and talent, like let's love on those A students, those valedictorians, let them know that they're always welcome to come home after college. We would love to have them here. I think our best bet though is really like, how do we start looking and finding those students that might not have the most supportive home life, that might not have like mom and dad at home or encourage the, helping them with the FAFSA, helping them with this and that, um, that, that we can really kind of get into their lives and help them see the opportunities right here at home. So, you know, I don't, and again, that's like harder said than done, right? But maybe have every few years you check with the third grade teachers, you know, Mrs. Jones, who's, who name, tell me the five kids in this grade who they're really smart, but we know they've got some struggles at home, right? Check in again in fifth grade and seventh grade and, you know, but go for those like B and C students. And how can we as a community connect those kiddos to internships and opportunities with existing businesses, give them the skills to, to grow their businesses at home, to, you know, help them with soft skills, showing up for on time, um, you know, how to dress, all of those things that we can help and keep folks kind of grow our own. So like grow our own local businesses and kind of keep those, our own students here and just recognizing it's not, you know, that's, I'm so proud of you for being the valedictorian. You know, if you ever leave Chicago or whatever, you know, come back home. That's not kind of our focus right. for community. So Jamie, let's talk results. So okay. you've been doing you've been doing this for quite some time, and uh, you've been integrating uh, yourself and your company into communities, and specifically Bedford. You know that's that sounds like that's the the shining star. But can you share with our listeners what is one of your most proud moments in doing this work that you've witnessed in the communities? What has been transformed or changed that you're just really like you know? That's where it's at. This is all all worth it because of X. Yes. Oh, that's a great question. Um, the the arts and education center that we helped um, bring was really just kind of this the shining star, right? It was very new. So many. So the, uh, again, when you talk about arts, like well, I forget, like the artsy fartsy comment oh. that you made <laughs> earlier. Right? Same, same type of level of resistance. And in this um, particular uh, community, you know, we can offer foreign languages, those partnerships with the community college, with the four-year degrees. Um, it's just a really cool space. And that was one of the largest hurdles um, that we that we kind of faced was this whole this whole center. So that was that was pretty cool to see come to life. Well, certainly fantastic work that you've been engaged in and transforming communities and I don't know how it is in the Hoosier state, uh, but I know how it is here in Michigan when you drive into some of those smaller communities and you watch them just year after year, building, falling down, drying up. It just really yeah. breaks my heart. Um, communities that yeah. once thrived when I was growing up, and I'm not that old, Rachel, yeah. I'm not that old, <laughs> but that were thriving and doing very well, you know, and and it's sad to look at those communities and how they've how they have died and uh, you know, I often think about the biblical verse where there is no vision, the people perish. And what you've set forth, Jamie, is a vision 
uh, in a vision for a people and to create a community in which manufacturers, uh, ministries, whatever it is, want to come and share in that community. That's phenomenal. Uh, And it's so incredible because everybody's fighting for that right now right? Everybody wants in on that. It's like, come to our community, we can offer you. And so, you know, you have done a remarkable job and I want to congratulate you uh, for the work that you've done. And I also want to thank you for joining us on Rural Health Rising today. It's been fun having you here. It's been great to learn a little bit more about you and to learn a little more about Rachel uh, in the work (laughs) she did for you. Um, But it's been great to have you with us here on our program. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. You both are wonderful. I am very appreciative of your time and the opportunity to to have this conversation. So before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So what we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? <laughs> well, um, that you want to share. That you want to share. <laughs> I love it. My husband, um, right now, he's a U.S. Marshal. He started in local law enforcement. He was in local law enforcement for a long time. Now, this was a few, several moons ago, but um, you used to be able to ride along. Like I used to go on riding. Oh, yeah. Right. So this, this was a long time ago. Um, but so I would go out riding with him and this was before we were married, before we had kids. And one night in particular, when I think of rural communities, this is, uh, this is pretty rural. I think it's about as rural as it gets, but so we're driving along, he gets a call. We have to stop because there are two cows in the middle of the street. (laughs) And like, and this is the main through Bloomington, like coming up to Bloomington, Indiana, so we had to pull over and I actually try to like shoot the cows, <laughs> the cows out of the middle of the road because they were causing a traffic jam. That's, so I think that's that is pretty, classic. That's about as rural as you're going to get. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty rural. Yes, I love rural communities. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jamie. It's been great to have you on the program. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Jamie Medlock, president and CEO of Group Stellar. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.